You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you this morning. Just as a heads up, I have zero references to football uh, in my sermon because I don't care. So our scripture for this morning, at least not your football, I like my football much better, and there are references to that, so just be prepared. Our scripture for this morning is the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Let's hear the word of the Lord for us this morning. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I tell you until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When I think about my ministry so far, I can't help but laugh every time I think of the eight years that I did youth ministry. (laughs) Do youth ministry, they said. It'll be fun, they said. (laughs) It makes me laugh for a couple of reasons. Number one, I had absolutely zero intention of ever doing youth ministry. It was not remotely on my list. I had said no to it very sternly for a long time until the opportunity presented itself and then it was like, you need to be a youth director. It's like, oh boy. The second reason is I could spend hours, I won't, but I could spend hours telling you some stories (laughs) from those eight years of being a youth director. I wore pumpkin costumes. I impersonated a penguin more than once. And we played a bunch of games that were sometimes created from scratch, some of them that went horribly wrong. And we did some serious stuff too. We did mission trips and Bible studies, but those are not nearly as funny. Every summer, For those eight years, I took our youth to the Outdoor Wilderness Learning Center over by Ruston, the Owl, as it's known, because I wanted to get them far enough out of Shreveport, Bossier to get them out of their comfort zone, but it's also a beautiful place to take youth because there's no cell phone service at all. So they get out there and they're all pulling out their phones and they're supposed to be, you know, unpacking their stuff and getting their beds made and that kind of thing and they're all pulling out their phones, oh, phones don't work. Why do you think I brought you here? I now have your undivided attention. So for three or four days we would do the ropes course and they have a maze out there and we'd play all these games and have fun and do some Bible study in there uh, for fun. There were at least two games uh, that I created that were born at the Outdoor Wilderness Learning Center. One of them was very creative in its name, Timball. This is a version of kickball 
where the rules change as you go along. So depending on who the person is that's kicking, if they're like a really athletic person, they had to do so with a blindfold. <laughs> or whatever the case may be, right? I'm trying to level the playing field. So the idea of Timball is that the rules constantly change to where we're really just having fun and those who really have no athletic ability at all can still participate. So if you ever want to play Timball and you like to follow rules, if you're one of those people, it will drive you bananas. I had youth that were in my face threatening me because I changed the rules for them and it just drove them crazy because some people just, you know, they have to have rules. Another game I created is not quite so creative, but it was a lot of fun, and our youth were constantly asking me if we could play this game, and I called it Ultimate Soccer. So if you've ever played Ultimate Frisbee or, or some similar game like that, it's kind of like that, except with a soccer ball, as all games should involve a soccer ball. The object of the game was simple. Your team has to get the soccer ball in the other team's goal. Simple enough, except I only ever gave them one rule. And the only rule that they had was if you have possession of the ball, you can't move. You have to stop where you are and you cannot move. So you can't throw the ball, you can't kick the ball, you just have possession of the ball. So it was really interesting as we started playing this game for the kids to figure out, well, now what do we do? I have the ball, I can't move, what do I do? And then your teammates are standing up, like, throw me the ball, well, I can't. Well, kick it, well, I can't. Well, can we tackle it? No. <laughs> right, so they're trying to figure out with this one rule, how do we play the game? And it was always really interesting to see because usually the team that won this game was not the team with all the athletic ability and the, and the guys that played basketball and football, you know, the, the macho guys. It was the team that huddled up together and they figured out how are we going to play this game. And it was also interesting because, you know, there's only one rule, that they would come to me and go, can we create a second rule that would make this better? Okay, let's talk about that. And if both teams agree to it, then we'll, we'll add another rule. And so that was the game. And almost every retreat we went to, well, can we play ultimate soccer? It's so much fun. And they try to create different rules as to how they were going to play it. Now, if you've ever noticed the, the, the few gray hairs that I have, and there, are, there aren't many, but it has a lot to do with those eight years of youth ministry. Uh, it has a lot to do with playing ultimate soccer, uh, a lot. It has a lot to do with those retreats at the OWL. And there's a, a saying that, you know, gray hair is really just a sign of wisdom. So uh, I have a few wisdom highlights, but not a whole lot of wisdom. <laughs> Our scripture for this morning should be familiar. Because these words come from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which a number of you, if you participated, were looking at in a Bible study that I wrote uh, for your Sunday school class. And I know because some of you have shared with me that it frustrated you a great deal <laughs> to go through the process of having to look at the context before we jump into a particular scripture. But I think that's really important to know before we read a scripture, like in what context was this said and what does it really mean? So to go through that quickly, in Matthew's gospel, there are really two main themes. The first one is the identity of Jesus as being the Messiah, the Son of God. And in the middle of Matthew's gospel, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, who do you say that I am? And as we know, Peter turns and says, well, you are the Messiah, 
the son of the living God. So the identity of Jesus is crucial to Matthew's gospel. The second theme is the authority of Jesus that comes from God. And this authority that Jesus has to teach, to perform miracles, and ultimately to send us out to do the same thing. Now, at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth is mine. Now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So Jesus has the authority to teach. He has the authority to send us out to do what he has taught us to do. And so in this teaching of Jesus, Jesus begins by jumping into what we know as the Beatitudes. This list of blessed be or blessed are, these groups of people that Jesus says are blessed. And that word blessed comes from the Greek word makarios, I've taught this before, which essentially means to know who and whose you are. It's about our identity. It's not about what we have and the many blessings of having a wonderful house and all these things. That's not really what being blessed means. Being blessed is to know who and whose we are in Christ and to live into that. And then Jesus jumps into the statement that we read this morning, that he has not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then he gives us eight examples of what he means. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you. Are you familiar with these statements? For example, you've heard that it was said, do not murder. But I say to you, if you are angry with someone or if you insult someone, you have already murdered them in your heart. I'm paraphrasing. Or you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, turn the other cheek, give them your cloak, walk the second mile. In other words, following this example of Christ means to be humble and to remain humble. In the next section, Jesus gives them a statement that ought to grab our attention. He begins with beware. <laughs> and any set of statements that begins with beware should grab our attention. Beware of how you pray. And for how long and how many $10 seminary words you use in the process that you think make you look good. Beware of where your treasure is because there your heart is as well. Beware of worry because it doesn't add a single day to your life. Trust that God is going to take care of you. Beware of judging others. Take care of the log in your own eye before you look at the speck in another person's eye and so on. And then Jesus wraps up this particular section by saying, do to others as you would have them do to you. And that's usually where we stop. But then he says, for this is the law and the prophets. And remember, Jesus has already told us he came to fulfill them, not to abolish them. He shifts our focus from trying to abide by a set of 613 laws, give or take, in the Old Testament, and in essence says following me is not about a list of rules. It's not about a checklist of do these things. It's about making sure your heart is right with God and is right with your neighbor. Those who sit on the sidelines and point the fingers won't even enter the kingdom of God. Don't be like them. 
And this is why there are so many struggles between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. Because Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Jesus lets his disciples pick grain on the Sabbath. Jesus tells a man to get up and walk on the Sabbath. Well, you have six days to work. Come on those days and be healed, exclaimed the religious leaders. This man cannot possibly be from God because he doesn't observe the law. To which Jesus says, you hypocrites. Which one of you does not feed your animals on the Sabbath? Your priests break the Sabbath. Aren't they guilty? Why won't you rescue your sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath? Of course you will. Now sometimes following Christ would be a whole lot easier if he had come and said, I'm abolishing the law, the Old Testament is no longer relevant, and he gave us a simple set of things to do and things to not do. But that's not what Jesus does. He tells us to love God, to love our neighbor, and to treat others the way that we would want to be treated. Now, yes, he teaches what that means, but a lot of times it's not in ways that we or even the people sitting with Jesus in that day could clearly understand. If you're in my class on Wednesday night talking about the parables of Jesus, which is one of the primary ways that Jesus communicated, a lot of them are very confusing. And they're hard to grasp what he's really saying. It can be messy quickly, trying to understand what Jesus is teaching us. The Apostle Paul struggled with much of the same thing. Paul was a Pharisee, formerly called Saul. He interpreted and imposed these laws and went after followers of Jesus because they were teaching that he was the Son of God, which has to be a clear threat to the law by which they lived. But after his encounter with the risen Christ, Paul sees the world very differently. In his letters to the Romans, he refers to a law of faith, that we live not under the law, but under grace. And that's good news for all of us, but he's also clear that grace is not a free pass. Grace still asks something of us. And no, we cannot simply continue in sin because, you know, there's grace, right? We have died to the law through Christ, and God has done what the law cannot do. To the Galatians, he writes, through the law, I die to the law so that I might live to God. We live under grace, which is a law in and of itself. It still demands something of us to obey what Jesus has taught us, but we live in this gray area in between the law, in between the rules as we seek, as we ask, as we knock as we search for what it means to be in right relationship with God and right relationship with one another, as we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, some people really like having rules, and they need boundaries to guide them, and they're happy to live into this path that has been set for them. Just follow the rules and all will be well. Others see rules as a challenge. They're there to be broken, and loopholes are intended to be found. Christ calls us to live in that gray area 
between the law that has been given, but recognize that there are times and there are places where there's a better, more holy option to do the right thing. Much like a good old game of ultimate soccer or timball, Christ calls us to focus on a matter of the heart, not necessarily about the rules, to seek to be more like Christ today than we were yesterday, to treat others the way that we would really want to be treated, to love God, to love our neighbor, because God has first loved us. And it's not about following a set of rules that guide a life, living into what's right and what's wrong and trying to toe the line. Christ calls us to live into God's kingdom. And he paints a picture of what God's kingdom looks like. So we might grow in wisdom. So that God's kingdom might be here on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, through Christ, you have given us another way. You call us not to live by a set of rules, a set of rights and wrongs, but to live into your kingdom, to love you fully, to love our neighbor fully, all of them, to live into the things that Christ has taught us without exception, to understand that we live under your grace, but that grace calls us and asks something of us to be more like Christ today than we were yesterday as we live into your kingdom and we seek your righteousness. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.